0: What goes on inside the mind of the Singapore consumer? The Kiasunomics podcast series unravels the way Singaporeans behave across different domains like spending, transport, environment, superstition, schooling and housing markets. Backed by multiple research studies, NUS Business School professors examine the quirks, psychology and mechanics behind the daily economic decisions of Singaporeans. So in this episode of Kiasunomics podcast, let's discuss spending habits of Singaporean. There are multiple ways we can look into this question. The first question, obviously, that comes to my mind is, if it was raining $100 bills, what will I do with it? I mean, we all love the idea of getting free money. And then we start thinking, well, if I get free money, I'll go on a vacation, I will buy the best shoes, I may go and have a great dinner, but it's very hard to kind of test these ideas. Unless we know that government policies once in a while give you some unexpected money in your pocket, and then we are able to kind of track that money or trace that money and see what you did with it. I mean, economists will always say, oh, if you're getting some free money today, you should not do anything with it. You should, in fact, save it because your consumption today should be determined based on what you're going to make or your income that is permanently determined. And that's what should determine your consumption today, not this uh, transitory or one-time free money that somebody is giving you, or this lottery monies. But human behavior is not what economists always envision. Human behavior is very fickle. It can change because of many circumstances. In fact, if we ask people what you will do versus if we see people, what they actually do is itself different. When you ask them, they will behave very rationally or they will think like an economist. When you, when you observe them, they will behave like psychologists, like uh, human beings who have flaws in it. So just to illustrate this example, a while ago, Singapore had a tax rebate, essentially, where every Singaporean was given anywhere from $300 to $600 of what you can call as free money. Because there was a surplus in the government budget, they gave out that money to the Singaporeans as a return because they didn't, the government couldn't keep the surplus in their pocket. So the co- interesting question is, can we trace this money out? Typically, it's very different, uh, difficult to do these things. What people will do is they will ask survey questions and go about people and say, what did you do with this money when you received it? Most of the time, when you ask these kind of questions, consumers don't remember that m- receiving that money. If they remember it, they remember putting it in their bank account. And so they will say, oh, I got it, I saved it, and that was it. So we'll incorrectly think that people saved that money. But to do this correctly, what you really need is to know where that money went into their bank account and then kind of do an accounting exercise to track if they actually spend that money on a monthly basis. So that's what we did. We actually were able to collect some data on around 180,000 Singaporean consumers from DBS Bank and able to follow them through. So the thought experiment would be like, I was in the DBS Bank data and I was the one of the person who received that money from the government, let's say $600, then we want to see if my spending, monthly spending, went over from my normal spending by $600. If my normal spending used to be $5,000 per month, but for the next three months after I got this money, my monthly spending was $5,200 per month, then I would make the argument that the only reason my monthly spending went up for those three months is because I got this money from the government. Relative to somebody who did not get that money and whose monthly spending was, let's say, also $5,000 per month, and after I got this money, if we observe their monthly spending to be continuing to be $5,000 per month, it would be safe to argue that yes the reason my spending went up relative to theirs for those three months is because i got this 600 dollars extra so that's how statistically we would think about conducting this exercise and making this argument that the reason i spend extra is because the government gave this pot of money or this lottery winning i had and i spend it so, In the DBS data, we actually were able to track all of Singaporeans, but we also had a lot of people who were non-Singaporeans, who essentially did not qualify to get this money from the government. So now you can think about we had people who got the money, we had people who did not get the money, and we knew their spending habits before they were getting the money and after they were getting this money. And so it becomes a very straightforward exercise to study if the spending of the people who got the money relative to themselves before getting the money and relative to the people who didn't get the money go up, then we will conclude that they were spending this money that the government gave them. In fact, when we look at the data and we cumulatively look at their eight or nine months spending after they got the money, we find that they actually spend extra, or they spend almost 80 cents of every dollar that the government provided to them, which is a huge amount of money. So essentially all the money that the government was giving out to the Singaporean consumers, they went out and spent it. Now, you know, as an economist, as an econometrician who works in statistics, people will come back to me and say, Is this really clean? You were comparing Singaporeans who got the money to non-Singaporeans who are foreigners, who may have very different spending habits relative to Singaporeans. So is this really a fair comparison? Now, it is fair because we are really comparing two things. One, we want to make the argument that for the foreigners the spending before and after did not change. And for the Singaporeans, the spending before and after changed. And we are attributing the change of the Singaporeans to the extra money they got and the non-Singaporeans for not getting any money. It's not relevant if the level of spending for the Singaporeans and non-Singaporeans is different. It's the change of spending that one group experiences after getting the money. And that's the experiment we have in mind. So it's perfectly fine. But still, we can do better because among the non-Singaporean population, we also actually had the data on the nationality of, of these people. So we said, let's remove foreigners or only include foreigners who mimic Singaporeans. So among the non-Singaporeans, we only kept Malaysians, Indians, and Chinese making the argument that the population of Singapore reflects the people from these three countries predominantly. So their eating habits, their other spending habits, and their saving habits will be similar. So we are kind of making an apples-to-apples comparison. Even though I said, we don't really need this experiment, but let's try, and have, try to make it as close as possible. You still find that the Singaporeans who got this money from the government, they were spending around 80 cents on the dollar. So it, it's a quite a lot of money they were spending. Even though I said earlier that uh, economists will argue, oh, they shouldn't spend any money, they should save it all in case they have to Pay back to the government in the future, or they've already made their spending decisions based on their long-term earning potential, why should this short-term shock in their income determine or change their spending habits? So that's one issue. So this, is, uh, this kind of shows that governments have the power to influence consumer behavior when they need to. For example, think about the COVID time right now, when the economy is slowed down. If the government feels that they really need to boost up consumption to boost up the economic growth in Singapore, the government can say, oh, let's give money to Singaporeans. They will go out and spend it. That will have a multiplier effect and that will stimulate Singaporean economy. But if you believed in what I said earlier, economists believe you will not spend it, then governments have very limited ability to alter or change effectively the GDP of the country. So this kind of answers this one question. Government has the ability, and that's why you saw during the COVID crisis or any crisis, the government will step in and have auxiliary budgets. Those budgets will give out money, consumers or firms who will then go out and invest it or spend it, and that will create extra uh, economic growth in the economy, especially when the economy is slowed down. The next question that obviously comes to mind when you think about this is, where are they spending this money? That's equally important. It's not they're just spending it. If they are spending it By traveling abroad, that has very different implications because that's not boosting the economy of Singapore, that may be boosting the economy of where they are traveling to. But if they're going to restaurants or they are buying shoes or they are uh, spending on things within Singapore, that has implications for economic growth here. Since the data is very rich, you can actually look within the transaction codes of the spending Where the money is spent, it allows you to start understanding if the money is spent on discretionary items, things like just going out to eat, or non discretionary items, things that you really need in life. So you can divide the data into discretionary and non discretionary, or you can divide the data into uh, groups like. Durable and non-durable, durable Durable items could be like you're buying a toaster or you're buying a fridge that is for long-term usage versus non-durable, which are just short-term, just like going out to a restaurant. I mean, those are important things because if you're buying for like a durable item, you buy a fridge, then what you have done is you have transferred your spending from the future to the present, so you have not really boosted the economic growth overall. You have just transferred economic growth from the future to now you got the money from the government you bought a fridge now and you are not going to buy a fridge in the future so that's not good if you're thinking about boosting economic growth but if you're buying discretionary items like going out and just spending on toys or going out on and spending in restaurants that's really boosting economic growth because that's just extra spending That's not like you buying a pair of shoes that will last you for the next seven, eight years, and now you're not going to buy a pair of shoes three years from now or six months from now. So I think what we are able to see in the data, a lot of the spending is happening in discretionary items, which is exactly what you would think from a theoretical point of view that uh, people should not be doing they should, if anything, even if they were spending, they should be buying things that will last them a long time. But consumers are behavioral, they realize this is free money, let me go out and spend it on my immediate needs or things that I would not have done otherwise, like travel a little bit, or go out into a restaurant and and eat something, or buy something for my kids, and these are essentially things I would have not done otherwise. So this is another piece of evidence Now, people could argue, what if banks understand this thing? I am saying consumers spend this money because they got this free money from the government. Alternatively, you could argue that it's not that they spend this extra money because they got money from the government. It's the banks realized that the money was being distributed by the government. So they changed some credit supply they increase the credit limit of the consumers, and that caused consumers to go out and spend more. Now it would be hard to argue that the banks will only do it for Singaporeans and non-Sing- not for the non-Singaporeans, but still it's possible. So this is easy to check because we can then look at, did the banks change the credit limit or interest rates or uh, any other variables in the data that will say, oh, maybe the banks intervened, and that also changed the habits of the consumers. Typically, banks will not do anything around these times because it's not in their best interest, and we see that in the data. The banks did not alter anything. It's the consumers who went out and spent the money that they were kind of given by the government. There are many other things you can argue. What is the difference between by age groups, by gender, by race. I mean, there will be differences. There is no doubt people who are younger may spend more. People who are older, they tend to save more. Uh, People who are families, they will spend more of this money. It's all kind of expected outcomes that we will see in the data. The main question becomes is why are they spending? I mean, why do they have to wait for the government to give them the money to go out and spend? If they really wanted to go to the restaurant, why didn't they just go? So that's an important point because why do these people need to wait for the government to give them this extra $600? If they really were craving to go on a vacation or go to a restaurant, they should have just gone. Now, one argument for that will be that they don't have the money or what you would call as their constraint, liquidity constraint, or they just don't have the cash lying around that extra $600 and that's why they don't spend it. So we can actually look into the data and see if the constrained behavior is driving their outcome. And when we actually look into the data, we find that majority of the spending happens for people who are actually constrained. So, in fact, if we look at the people who don't have money in their checking account, they spend dollar for dollar. Every dollar the government was giving them, they were actually spending all of it. In fact, and if you look at the people who are not constrained, or people who had money in their savings account, they were spending only 40 to 50 cents of every dollar that they were given. That's exactly the point I'm making that, look, if I wanted to go on vacation or go to a restaurant and I have money in my checking account, I will not wait for the government to give it to me. I'll just go. And this is what the data shows us. So this kind of comes back to the government's policy. Should the government give everybody the money? Like, let's think about in COVID time. Should the government say, oh, we need to boost economic growth, so let's give everybody money and they will go out and spend what the results show from this kind of exercise is, no, we don't want the money to be distributed equally to everybody. We want the money to be given more to people who are constrained, because those are the people who, when given the money, realize, wow, I wanted to do these things and I couldn't do them, but now I'm getting this money, let me go out and spend it, and that's where how we will boost economic growth not by giving money to everybody. So in some sense, we can tie it back to how we can design policy exploiting or understanding how consumers react to these kind of policies. This was a very straightforward kind of an example how we can think about government policies, how they relate to consumer behavior, how consumers kind of, we can track consumer spending category by category, by amounts, by type of consumers. And all of these kind of give us a very good way to understand from a policy point of view how to target policies in the future. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Stay tuned as we bring you more interesting research-based insights on a wide range of topics in business and economics. Subscribe to our channel now.